The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. Hey guys, um, this is Caleb back here with Ben today. We're back talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Um, we thank you for joining us. As always, we want to encourage you if there's anything we can do for you. If you're here in Brooklyn, reach out to us. We're thankful that you're interested in hearing um, some thoughts from the Word of God. Uh, we've been looking this month at the book of Deuteronomy. And so uh, this is our second podcast, weekly podcast on, on the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and uh, this book, Deuteronomy, is uh, is. It, the word means second law. It's kind of a retelling of what we've seen already in the Torah in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And so today we're going to be exploring some of the big ideas that Moses is stressing in this book. Um, as Moses speaks to the people, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses kind of last, some of his last speeches before he dies. And he's trying to prepare the people uh, before they enter into the promised land. And so, uh, so today we're going to pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, one of the most famous, probably the most famous passage in the book of Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy chapter six and verse four, where he says, hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. Um, this passage is referred to as the great Shema. Um, and pretty significant text here in Deuteronomy. So Ben, why don't you talk to us just a little bit about what you see here in this text and uh, why this text is so important in the context of the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, I think one thing we can know for sure about why this is so important, one, it just sounds really important. The, hey, everybody listen, it's in the middle of this. And, and he said this, uh, Moses will say this to the people, but still, there's this call, hey, pay attention to what I'm trying to tell you right now. He attaches the instruction in verse five with the very nature of God. Yahweh is our God. We have a special relationship and he's our only God. He's, the Lord is one. And then he gives this instruction, which is one that Jesus would refer to in his ministry. Someone would ask, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, who oftentimes gave really cryptic responses or would not avoid questions, but sometimes throw questions back at people. This is one of the few times where Jesus just said, this is the answer. Boom. And that's it. So this is the great commandment that all other commandments are attached to. So this is a big deal for that reason. And it's something that comes up as you read through Deuteronomy. We won't point this out all throughout, but there's a number of times where this issue, this subject of loving God being the core to everything else comes up from time to time. So if you want to keep the commandments about not worshiping idols, or you want to keep the commandments about holding firm to the word of the prophets, the true prophets of God, or if you want to um, learn how to treat foreigners or the poor or women in a just and fair and righteous way, it all starts here. This is the, the root of everything that comes out of it. Yeah. So, you know, so it seems like here, here he's talking about kind of our response to God being love. 
And in the context of Deuteronomy 2, um, I, I think about um, so much of what he does in these early chapters is talking about just how much the Lord has loved them. Um, and so the right response is if, if the God of the universe, if Yahweh God has, has loved us so deeply, then, then we, we love him with all of our heart in return. And uh, so, yeah, as you said, I think this is really at the heart of, of pretty much everything in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, pretty much everything in the Bible, as Jesus says, is kind of wrapped up in this commandment. So, Yeah, and I think this chapter helps us understand the nature of loving God, which a lot of times can, I don't know if anybody means to do this, but it can turn into this thing where it's just kind of, hey, I've got nice sentiments toward God. I got good vibes with God. Mm-hmm. Or even I actively feel things or even express my love about God. Yeah. But it's interesting, the very next words that Moses says in, in further defining, okay, it sounds good, Moses. We want to love the Lord. And I mean, he makes it clear. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart. But he doesn't stop there. All your soul and all your might. Uh, everything you've got. Right. And that's kind of the way. And he makes it really clear. Okay, well, how am I going to do that? Well, in verse six, he says, these words, which I'm commanding you today, which by the way, he's just been in chapter five. He's talked he's recapped the 10 commandments. He's talked about the importance of Israel, keeping their covenant obedience with God. The beginning of chapter six, even he speaks about the commandments and the judgments and the instructions that he had given. And then he has this bit about, you need to love the Lord, your God. And in chapter six and verse six, he continues and says, these words, which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You want to love God? have the word of God on your heart. Not just that, you need to have them on your lips. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. But it's not just something that you're supposed to say. It's something you're supposed to look at or connect to your personage even. Verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, which some people took this literally and they would bind scripture on their body. Mm-hmm. People do that today, even tattooing scriptures on their bodies or whatever, or writing them on their walls. Verse nine, you shall write them on the doorpost on your house and on your gates. I'm not really sure whether Moses meant for this to be taken literally, but he does speak about this in a a totally comprehensive sense. Whenever you're talking to your kids, talk about the scriptures. Every moment of your day, have the scriptures at the heart of it. Whenever you get dressed, dress yourself with the scriptures. Whenever you're decorating your house, decorate your house with the scriptures because this is how you're going to learn to love God and keep him first. And to your point, these commandments or the instructions or the, the teachings about God, they're not just, hey, do this and don't do that. There's a lot of that, obviously, both in the old covenant that Moses and Israel followed, also in the new covenant that Jesus presents that we're supposed to follow. Um, there's all these commandments and instructions, but there's also the story and the commandments and the instructions remind us of, I think you said a minute ago, the fact that God is love and God loved us. The rest of chapter six is really about whenever you're talking to your kids and whenever you're talking to each other and whenever you're thinking inwardly, make sure you understand what God has done for you and how great of love he's shown to you. Moses continues to emphasize this like in chapter seven He talks about how God brought them out with a mighty hand. He says, hey, it's not because y'all were so righteous that God saved you. I'm mixing up chapter seven and chapter nine. But in one of those, he says, not because y'all were righteous. It's not because you were powerful. You guys were tiny. You were nothing. You didn't do anything. God just chose to love you. He chose to set his affections on you. In chapter eight, he talks about their wilderness period. And he says, think about how God loved you and cared for you. 
Your shoes never wore out. You never went hungry. God always provided for you. So I guess to me, the, the formula here for how to learn to love God is to pay close attention to his word right. and to see his love, which those two go hand in hand. You can't really see God's love apart from what he's revealed in scripture. Um, you also can't really read scripture, or at least you're not reading it right or fully if you're not seeing God's love. And that's the formula. So if I want to learn to love God, I need to pay close attention to his word and see his love for me. And we talked about, yeah, last week, how uh, these two words hear or listen and love are like critical words that kind of come up over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. And I think that's right because there's a connection between the two, like to, to love is to listen. Um, we know that in relationships, right? If I don't listen to my wife, uh, then, then, then eventually she's going to question whether or not I really love her. If I don't listen to God, and don't think about listening either as just being like, I heard it, but listening to obey. You know, as he said, uh, that, you know, the next word after the great Shema is these commandments I give you today, um, which reminds me of Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there's this connection that if I'm going to really love God, um, it starts with hearing and listening, and then it, and then it moves into submitting to the things I learn that are pleasing to God, um, and and uh, learning to uh, hate the things that God hates, um, and to appreciate the things that God appreciates. Yeah, and and like you said, this is about formulating, establishing, maintaining a relationship. Yeah. God's the one who's reached out. I mean, He's the one who made the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. He's the one who delivered Israel out of slavery in Exodus. And that's Moses' reminder. Hey, like, it's not, you guys didn't formulate this relationship. God did. Yep. But God's also, God's not abusive. He's not going to force you to stay in this relationship. You have to choose to love him if you want to maintain this thing. He's going to do everything he can, but it's your choice to respond in kind with love. And that's the only way, like you said, any relationship can be sustained is if there is love. Yeah. And to me, the thing that Moses does is really helpful. He, he gives this command, love the Lord. This is the commandment. Like we said, Jesus establishes that. And all the New Testament writers over and over again emphasize this is the only way it works. Paul would say in 1 Timothy 1, 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, you've been purified by the word of truth for love, love for God, but also love for your brothers. And of course, so much of loving God is expressed in our love toward others um, and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't need to belabor the point. So this is, this is what it's all about. This is the core of everything. And that's only going to happen if we pay attention to the word of God and if we see the love of God for us as revealed uh, through his word. Yeah. But to me, the thing in the next few chapters that Moses does, it's also helpful is he doesn't just set up this, the primacy of love and kind of the formula for love. He also warns us, warns Israel, but by extension, he warns us about some of the uh, killers of love, yeah. some of the things that could really mess up our love. So there, there is like all these kind of warnings, and you can see that in chapter six, right? The next phrase is uh, when God brings you into the land, verse 10, um, to give you, that he's going to give you, and, and it's a land that's large, flourishing cities which you didn't build. Um, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, vine vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. 
Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Um, so one thing he's concerned about here is like with the prosperity that God gives us, there's this temptation to, uh, to forget where our prosperity came from. Obviously that's a pretty, uh, needed warning for us today too. Yeah. I mean, just the danger of one of the biggest dangers of love. And we see this in our own relationships is arrogance, arrogant people who think they're, they've got it all. They've done it all. They are all, it's impossible for them to have healthy relationships. And what you brought out in verse six is this forgetting where all this prosperity came from. He basically says the same thing in chapter nine and verse four, Deuteronomy nine, four, do not say in your heart when the Lord, your God has driven them out. In other words, the other nations before you, uh, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It's not because you're so good. It's because they were so bad that they got punished. And it is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess the land. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations. Verse 6, he goes on and says, No, then, it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you're a stubborn people. Remember, and then he goes in this long thing about their sinfulness. So he warns against the danger of arrogance, arrogance and prosperity, arrogance and self-righteousness, whatever it may be. The moment I start thinking, I take care of myself, I've fixed all my problems, I'm really all that, that's when I'm going to lose my love for God. Yeah. And I love to, um, I don't think I'd ever noticed this until reading through Deuteronomy this time, or at least if I did, it didn't hit me the same. Um, I love that he actually gives them kind of a solution for how to avoid that. Um, in chapter eight and verse 10 is what, what struck me when I was reading it this time. Um, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, you shall bless the Lord, your God for the good land, which he has given you. And then he says, beware that you don't forget the Lord, your God by not keeping his commandments. So one of the cures or one of the ways to avoid falling into this trap of prosperity is that every time I am blessed, I give a blessing back to God. I'm because by doing that, I'm reminding myself, Hey, it's not because of me that I have this. It's not because of me that I have this house. It's not because of me that I have this um, car. It's not because of me that I have this food. It's not because of me that I have all these relationships and all these friends and all every good thing that I have is from him. And so actually praising God is one of the keys to staying humble and to avoiding arrogance because I'm giving God the glory for all the good things he's given me. I thought it was helpful for me to, uh, to think about with one of these warnings of, you know, becoming arrogant. We're definitely tempted with that. We're giving, we have so much, um, you know, and we have, we have more than most anybody in the world. And it's tempting to think, you know, Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm satisfied. I can handle this, you know? So what are some of the other, sorry, go ahead. What, What are some of the other warnings in, uh, in these chapters that kind of stood out to you that uh, God is really concerned about um, or worried about his people falling into? There's two that are kind of intertwined. So I don't know. You can tell me what you think if they should be separated or kind of seen as one unit. Um, I can think about a way to think of them as one unit, but it's in chapter seven. I'll read the first few verses of chapter seven because I think it kind of summarizes what well, it summarizes explicitly says the things they need to watch out for. Chapter seven, verse one says, when the Lord, your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and he clears away many nations before you. And then he lists off these nations of people who had done a lot of wicked, 
evil, destructive things, you know, and we're immoral, unjust, idolatrous, child sacrifice, all that kind of stuff. Verse two, when the Lord your God delivers them before you, you utterly defeat them and you utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down the altars, smash their sacred pillars, and hew down their asherim, false god, and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's probably good enough to stop right there. To me, the two issues that I see that Moses lays out here that are dangers that they need to watch out for, one was association with the nations. I know sometimes this historically passages like this have been used to say, oh, look, God doesn't approve of interracial marriage. God doesn't care about race like that at all. This isn't about interracial marriage. This is about people who were opposed to God versus the people who were with God. That's what he was worried about, is that the influence of the nations would lead Israel to worship their gods mm-hmm. and to have a loyalty to their gods, to cheat on Yahweh, basically. So I guess that's what I'm saying. It seems like there's two issues. Don't associate with the nations. That could kill your love for God. And don't worship their gods because that will kill your, God, your love for God. Mm-hmm. But those two are kind of one, and I'm not even really sure how to break them apart. So the way, if, if it's right to see them together, and you can kind of tell me what you think, to me, the, the issue here is worldliness, because the gods of the nations are gods of this world. They're not, or they're, they're ones that people see throughout the lens of this world, at least, even if there's some spiritual realities behind them, um, they're, they're worldly. And then, of course, the nations, the appeal would be their worldly power, their culture, their history, their influence, their military power, their economic power, whatever it might be. So to me, the danger is worldliness, and that's how we get caught up and forsake God. But the way that was expressed for Israel was their relationships with people of the world and their potential to begin worshiping the gods of this world. But I don't know what you think about that. That's kind of the other big dangers that I see here. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think, too, that's a, that's another theme that just kind of runs straight through the Bible, right? Um, this, like, the danger of, of um, you know, living in the world but not being of the world, um, learning to, uh, to live in a, in a world. And, and that's part of the reason why God says, hey, kind of clear out these influences um, because these wicked influences are going to turn your heart away. We start to see that all throughout the Bible as uh as as people disobey this command in in the in in israel and it kind of ends up leading them leading their hearts astray it leads leads them to worship other gods leads them to be influenced by the immorality and the idolatry of the of the nations as well so uh so i do i think you're right this is a theme that runs kind of straight through the bible and it's the same kind of exhortations that are be that are coming from jesus and his apostles uh, in the new testament to, uh, to be careful about who we associate with and, and the influence that people have over us in the world. Yeah, and just for anybody who, especially if you're somebody that's like, well, like Deuteronomy, that's Old Testament anyways, and like we're not supposed to obey that stuff really, so I don't really see the point. You should see the point. It's a really important book for understanding the whole of Scripture and the thoughts that Jesus had and the things that he, he, he would say. 
but I get it. If somebody's just saying, man, it's a lot of investment, 34 chapters and a lot of laws that frankly I'm not following anymore. I know it's important, but I don't know if I can do that. One book that in the new Testament that I think in some ways is kind of a summation of a lot of the things we've been talking about. And I'll just mention this now is the book of first John. First John one is a book all about loving God. I mean, start to finish, he emphasized the idea of loving God. He also, and we'll talk about this more in a second, he emphasized the idea of loving your brother uh, in Christ, but maybe you could expand that out to loving other human beings, loving your neighbor as really critical to doing that. He also warns against the influence of the world. A lot of the stuff in Deuteronomy where Moses either talks about ways Israel in the past had been influenced by the world, or they might in the future be influenced by the world. John emphasizes that too. And actually the very, he also um, speaks to the danger of false prophets, false ideology. Deuteronomy chapters 13 and 18 in particular, talk about that. Um, And then the last line in first John is little children guard yourselves from idols. And that speaks of course here to this danger that Israel would face of falling prey to false worship, even more, more broadly than just bowing down to idols. For instance, in Deuteronomy 12, Moses says, hey, listen, what we're doing right now, it's not good. Everybody's just kind of worshiping God however they want to. Whenever we come into the land, God's going to pick a place. There's going to be order to this. There's going to be a way to go about this. And we're not going to keep doing it the way it's been done. There's going to be something to it. In other words, there's an importance in reverencing God properly, relating to God properly, connecting to God properly. And so I think that's, that's a big point of emphasis here in Deuteronomy. And John brings that out in first John chapter five as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's big. Um, and it's a big, it's a big, I think one of the biggest problems for us, one of the biggest challenges for us is, uh, is the fact that, you know, we, we're in the, here in the heart of the city. We're in, we're in a dense place where it's easy to be influenced by the people that are, that are around you. And, and this is a challenge. It's been a challenge. It's not a new challenge is what Deuteronomy is telling us. Like, Hey, to be able to, avoid um to to be able to 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 live in a place where where you're in the world um but to also uh, not be affected by that is a great struggle and a great challenge um throughout uh throughout history it was a challenge for them it's a challenge for us especially when god's really called them to be a light to the nations to be a to be a people that shows god to the nations you know, it'd, it'd be easier if you could just, if we could just kind of build up walls and cities and kind of isolate ourselves entirely, it'd be a little bit easier to avoid contamination from the corruption of the world. But the challenge is that, uh, that, that we've been called to go into the world, um, to, to be lights to the world while not being corrupted by it. And just to put one more point on this before we kind of shift gears just a little bit, to kind of get into the last little piece about this idea of loving God. In the New Testament, another passage that speaks about the danger of idolatry, but connects it to, like what you're pointing out, just not being a part of the world around you, is Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, really if you back up to the beginning of the book of Colossians, short book, Colossians 1 and 2 speaks about, hey, you need to know Christ and believe in Christ and not believe in the ideologies, the false teachings of this world. In other words, to Moses' exhortation, don't associate with the thinkings and the thought patterns and the ways of this world. Don't connect with the nations. And then in chapter three, he says, you've been elevated. You, have, you, you need to seek things that are above where Christ is, which is kind of what Moses is saying. You guys are a holy people to the Lord. You're not like the rest of the world. 
So if you're going to love God properly, you need to understand that your relationship with God calls you to live in an elevated sort of way in terms of your character and your morality and your uh, ethics and worldview and all that stuff. Well, then he starts listening off. So don't be like you used to be sexually immoral, impure, hateful, lying, all this stuff. And he mentions greed and he says that is idolatry. So in other words, the point is that being worldly is an expression of worshiping false gods of the world. Yeah. Yep. That's big. Important points for us to, to think about too. All right. So is there, uh, is there any other warnings here um, that stood out to you in, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy um, or other thoughts just you want to give about uh, this, this, this theme of love, loving the Lord, your God without you, uh, with all your heart. I'm sure there are. I mean, I think these big ones of arrogance and worldliness expressed through close associations with the world or worshiping the gods of this world. Those are kind of the main ones. I guess the only other one that we've kind of already touched on, but it may be worth emphasizing before we shift gears here for the last few minutes is the, the concept of being deceived or forgetting the truths of the Lord or not paying attention. We, we talked at the beginning, that's the formula. If you want to love God, you need to pay close attention to his word and remember, see his love for you. Well, what that means is if people deceive you or trick you or lead you astray from that, or if you're not paying attention and you forget the word of the Lord, right. then you're going you're gonna to lose your love for God pretty quickly. And so to me, those are kind of, if, if you wanted to expand it to a list of three, arrogance, worldliness as expressed through our worldly associations and or worshiping the gods of the world. And then the third thing being, um, in addition to arrogance and worldliness, deception or false ideology or however you want to say that i don't know you got any that you think would be worth adding to that list um as far as dangers or potential pitfalls as we seek to love god yeah no i think that's right and i think um you know forgetting forgetting the truth of god or being influenced to uh not trust the goodness and the truth of 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 god's commandments is a big struggle for Israel throughout their history. And it's a big struggle for us today. Um, which I think is why in part, uh, Moses does so much to remind the people of, uh, of God's goodness throughout this. In fact, he'll even say things like, um, one of my favorite texts from chapter eight, where he talks about how your clothing didn't wear out on you. Your foot, your feet didn't swell all these 40 years you were in the wilderness. You, and, and then he talks about how he led you through the great and terrible wilderness, fiery serpents, scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water. Um, he, brought, he brought water out from a rock, a flint. In the wilderness, he fed you with manna, um, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. And that's the part that got me is like, no, all these commandments were tests for them. Yeah. But in the end, it's because he gave these commands because he has their best interest at heart. Um, he's trying to do good for them in the end. So a lot of what it means to, to uh, serve God and to love God with all your heart is to trust that God's commandments really are good in the end, even when it doesn't seem like it, and even when we don't uh, understand it. Oh, that's right. That's right. There's a similar passage that may be good to, to look at that kind of pivots into just the last comment, which I don't think we'll spend as much time on because I think this will be something we'll end up tapping back into as we keep on reading through Deuteronomy. But in chapter 10 and verse 12, it's a similarity in what you just brought out. Hey, look at the goodness of God. Look at his love for you. Now that should motivate you to love him and trust him and serve him. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. 
Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Why should I do that? Love, serve, fear, all this stuff. What's the motivation, Moses? Verse 14, behold, to Yahweh your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that's in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. In other words, God has everything, and yet he chose to love a puny little nation like you guys. And we might even extend that out. God has set his love on puny little people like us. And even the entirety of the human race is nothing compared to the scope of the universe. And yet God has chosen to show his love. We know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Similar thought here. Uh, Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples as it is this day. So circumcise your heart, open yourself up to God and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. And this is where it shifts a little bit for me, where it gives us one particular expression of loving God and one not particular in terms of it being um, limited. It's actually one of the main ways God expects us to express our love for him. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien or the foreigner by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. And then Moses continues. Here, this is just reemphasizing the point you just made, which is our love for God is motivated. As John would say in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. But also Moses highlights, hey, if God loved you and you were nothing, If God gave you all things when you had nothing, if God's been so good to you and you haven't deserved it, you need to do the same for others. You need to love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus would say, was the second greatest commandment, which is kind of just right there. It's just the expression of the first commandment. So much, and that's why I say maybe with just without getting into a lot of detail, a lot of the rest of the book of Deuteronomy speaks to that. There's all kinds of commandments about how you treat foreigners, how you treat the poor, how you treat people in your families, uh, sexual ethics, um, economic justice, all kinds of different things. They're all expressions of if you really love God, then you're going to look at the people that he's made and you're going to treat them with love. That's not it. That's not the only way we love God. In other words, some people might be like, oh, well, if I just love other people, then I'm loving God. Well, not necessarily because he does emphasize in verse 20, uh, verse 20, you shall serve him and cling to him and swear by his name. In other words, if you go worship other gods and yet you're loving to your brother, well, good for you, I guess, but it's not going to do much for you in your relationship with God because you've, that's like a, a married couple. And if you love the kids, that's great. But if you don't love your spouse, that marriage is going to disintegrate and fall apart no matter how much you love the kids. But I'll also say you're probably only going to really be able to love the kids 
if you have a loving relationship with the spouse, at least to fully love. And that's, that's the way this thing goes. It's, it's interesting. It kind of cuts both ways. You can't really love people rightly and well, or at least in a sustainable way, if you don't love God, because God is love. That's where we learn about love. That's, that's what Moses says. God loved, and he's teaching you how to do it. So we've got to love God in order to love others. But also loving others isn't a substitute for loving God. These two are both necessary elements. And a lot of the teachings throughout the book of Deuteronomy and the whole of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus and in the New Testament and so on and so forth, it's about these things coming together, that we've got to learn to love God and cling to him and serve him alone. And in that love, express it in our treatment of other people. Yeah, and I think, I think what you're saying is there is really helpful for us because basically, if we are looking at God and we're looking at how deeply the Father has loved us, we are going to cling to him. We are going to swear by him. We are going to be faithful to him. We're going to do whatever we can to please him. But also, if we're looking to God um, and we're seeing how deeply he's loved us, as we look at him and learn from him, he trains us to be able to love others in the same way. And so it's as if, you know, as we see how God is loving us, then we do that same. And you see that in the passage you just read where he's talking about how basically, you know, this is, this is what God has done for you. So you also do it for, for them as well. And that language of training is really important. I think because a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, I love everybody. What does that mean? What do you mean? How do you define love? And this is where if you don't believe in God, then some of this may sound simplistic to you or, or simple minded or ignorant even. But we do believe there's a God that created all things, that owns the universe, that runs all things, and that he is a God of love and that all of his creation, all of his power, all of his wisdom is geared toward showing and expressing love and filling people with that love and exhibiting that love and spreading it. We, we believe that about God. And he hates all things that are opposed to real, genuine love. What that also means is he sets the term for love. That's why, rewind it back, Moses says, love the Lord your God, which here seems to be a lot of that's going to be expressed in my treatment of other people. It's not just a, I worship God all the time, and that's how I love him, but it's also I serve his people that he's made, and I, I, I live rightly in his world and all that sort of stuff. So if I want to love God, keep the commandments. What? I thought it was about love. Yeah, exactly. There are rules for love, and we all know that. Every one of us who want to be loved or love people, we know there are rules for it, and that's especially true with God. He teaches us how to love him rightly, and he also teaches us how to love others rightly. And some of those things don't feel like love, but I'd argue that if that's the case for us, then probably what that means is I've become arrogant. I think I know what love is better than God is, or I've become worldly. I've let my associations with people who are opposed to God or my worship of other gods influence my heart to where when I read the commands of God or things he says about how to love or how not to love, then I'm like, oh, that's wrong. Well, maybe that just means I'm worldly. And maybe it means I've been deceived by false ideology. And that's what's corrupted my view of what it means to love God. If I keep coming back to his word and see what he has done to show love and trust in what he's done and therefore what he's teaching me, then I'll learn how to properly love him and love other people, which is what it's all about. Amen. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us today. Um, hope this is helpful for you. And if you have, as always, if you have any questions about anything we're sharing 
or would like to hear more, we encourage you to reach out at any time. Um, and uh, definitely encourage you to be reading with us the book of Deuteronomy. Our hope is to, end, to read this book um, this month and finish by the end of the month. Um, so uh, if you'd like more information on what we're reading each day, or if you'd like um, to discuss anything from the readings with us, we encourage you to reach out either on our Facebook page or on our website, thewaybk.com. Um, you should be able to reach us there and uh, we'll be happy to discuss these things more. Thanks so much for joining. May the Lord bless you and keep you all and may he give you peace, make his face shine on you. Thanks everybody. See y'all next time. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.